SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty present the Underdog Podcast. And welcome back to the Underdog Podcast, your home for AAC football, your home for G5 football. We are back once again with another episode of the American Conference. I'm your host, Joe Broback. That is Dan Morrison. We are currently battling some technology deficiencies, maybe on both of our ends. I'm not, I'm not really sure, um, but we're, we're going to make this work. Dan, we're going we're gonna to figure this out one way or another. Yeah, I don't know if it's me. It's probably me. I've got like a five-year-old HP that I'm on right now, which is always the way to the best possible results you can have with technology. So Seriously. as long as we record on the first time and don't have to re-record, I'm okay. <laughs> yep, we should be good there. Uh, but uh, we're going we're gonna to dive right into this. Uh, we're going to re or uh, revisit our position previews. We took a little break last week because of the NIL stuff, which was fun to talk about. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, make sure you go back and listen to that. We did that with the Memphis preview. So make sure you listen to that. Give us your thoughts on that situation, what college football will look like and whatnot. But we are going back to our position previews. And then today we are going to preview Navy. And while – Navy is one of those programs that we probably don't know a ton about. Um, there's still things that we have to discuss. Uh, Dan and I both yeah. have some, some very interesting points. It may not be the most detailed, but there's definitely some arguments that we're going yeah. to have today because of where Tulsa – or excuse me, Tulsa. I'm looking at the offensive line article here where Navy is going. Yeah, Navy is one of those tricky teams because they're so system-based that it's going to be hard to – well, you know, I think we're going to say it a lot today, but Navy recruits a different type of human being than a Houston or a UCF or anyone else in the conference does for that matter. Yeah, they're not like FBS level them. talent. Yeah, there's like 40 guys a year. They're not FBS level talent or size, and they're absolutely 4.0 students who want to be in the U.S. Navy. So it's it's a niche group that they're drawing from. That is for sure. That is for sure. And uh, one thing that they're going to need is offensive linemen, which we'll start with here. Now, an argument can be made that the offensive line is the most important position or positions on the team because while skill positions are great to have, if you don't have a line that can run or pass block, then there's no point of having skill position players because eventually you're going to have to – go up the middle or you're going to have to rely on that and you just need a good unit and you can tell when a team has a good offensive line and when they don't um now i know that we're probably you know we're not the experts on offensive line here but dan do you have any teams that like surprised you in the article do you have any teams that you think are going to be better than people think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you had Tulsa at number one. They're to me, the clear number one in the conference returning all that they do from last season, just the amount of success they have. Tulsa absolutely also needs to be good on the offensive line. Cause I don't trust their quarterback play next year. So they need to find something there to help out uh, just to help that situation out. Uh, for me though, my initial reaction was I thought Cincinnati was kind of low. I know that they've got turnover at the tackle spot. But to me, I tend to trust what Luke Fickle is doing recruiting-wise and player development-wise that 
the guys who will be coming in will step into that role a little bit better. I know when it was uh, James Hudson who got kicked out of the Peach Bowl, they did not fill that role well. But I think after a full off season to fix that uh, problem, I think they're going to be one of the top three at least teams in the conference for offensive line play. Yeah, and that's the thing with the preseason stuff is a lot of people use preseason rankings as projections, and I think that's the dumbest thing that you can do because right now, if you want to do projections, like then you need to label it as, hey, I'm projecting what it's going to be at the end of the year. But to say, like, like right now, to me, Cincinnati, because they lose two tackles, is not – in the top and I agree with all your points but with with rankings in the preseason you have to look at what they have now and right now they have two brand new offensive tackles so that is I mean I don't want to say it's a negative because it's it's not like we're assuming they're bad it's just they don't they have three linemen that are coming back and then they need to replace two of their best linemen two of their best tackles so like to me it's you know I go into Preseason rankings versus projections kind of thing. Yeah, and I get that. What UCF was in week like two or whatever when they played ECU and started with four or false starts versus what they were by the end of the year on the offensive line were two completely different teams, for instance. But I still think that I think Cincinnati's gonna start with a very good offensive line. I just trust that they'll be in that spot. And to an extent that is predicting that they'll be good, not knowing that they'll be good. But it's, I think, an educated uh, guess at the very worst. Uh, and then I also, I thought that ECU at 10, for whatever reason, my gut told me that that was a little bit low. I looked at it, and your reasoning is sound to me that they're that low. But again, maybe I'm projecting a little bit, but I think they're going to be a little bit better than 10 in the conference. Yeah, the, the bottom teams were tough because, like, ECU didn't have Deontay Smith for most of the year, mm-hmm. and they had other guys that, you know, are experienced, but I just like, is there anybody that's really like a difference maker? Temple has Adam Klein, who's been there for forever is a difference maker. But other than that, you don't really know anybody, although they only allowed 11 sacks last year. So they're obviously a a decent unit. And then like USF, it has Brad Cecil and Demetrius Harris, but everybody else is relatively unknown. Houston is just. How many of those guys are like, how many of those guys are like legit, like all conference talents, really? Though they're good players, but I don't think that they're going to be. I think Adam Klein's probably the only one from that group that you could say has all conference potential. Yeah. So, I mean, experience, yes, but definitely seeing that any of those guys are difference maker, I don't know that that might not be. Yeah. And that's what I'm concerned about with like Houston and uh, Memphis. I like Dylan Parham, but. Other than that, it's like you don't really have anybody that you're like, yeah, this dude's a, a superstar. And I, I think that's the tough part, especially when you don't have depth. Because like you said, Tulsa is absolutely loaded. Their line is massive. They have three guys over 320 pounds. All five starters return, and they have two guys that are ready to be in the rotation if need be. UCF has six guys that will be – starting in, in, in the rotation, you know, Samuel Jackson mm-hmm. is versatile. So he'll play every position except for center. If need be SMU has everybody back Tulane has everybody back. And then after that, it's just like, n- nobody has everybody back or if they do, they're just not confidence inspiring. So it's just, it's going to be interesting yeah. to see what, like you said, doing a little bit of projecting, um, it's always good, but when yeah, when it's it's tough to see right now 
I, I trust what Luke Fickle's doing at Cincinnati. Obviously, he's bringing in a ton of talent. And it's same with same with Memphis and Ryan Silverfield, honestly. But I just yeah. I don't know without seeing them first what, what they're actually going to be. Yeah, and that's fair that we haven't seen them. You can't prove it, and you don't know that there won't be uh, growing pains, at least early in the season, especially with the two new tackles at Cincinnati. But uh, something about it, like I said, it just felt low to me. Looking at Houston now, from what we were talking about them just a couple of weeks ago, that seven starting to feel high to me in my gut because we talked a lot about how that offense is going to struggle blocking, uh, you know, just two weeks ago or whatever, whenever we talked about Houston. So they might feel a little bit high to me now as I look up and down the list a little bit. But then, yeah, and then there's Navy at 11 because, again, they're just the hardest to project team in the conference year in and year out. They're well, the hardest. Yeah, another we know thing that too. they're small on the offensive line. And we know yeah. that they're going to cut block. That's what we know about the offensive line. Right. They're they're more um, tactical with what they're going to do. They're not going to try to – they're not going to say, hey, you're going to straight up just dominate this guy. Now, they did have some mm-hmm. guys in Peter Nestridge and Billy Honecker that could mm-hmm. do that at times. But now it's just like we don't really know what's going on. And the other thing that's tough with Navy is they don't exactly – share as much information as the other schools and there's not as much coverage of Navy. So it's really hard to find like mm-hmm. who are the, who's actually good. Who's actually going to start, who is a rotation guy, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Who's, you know, what do they look like? What's their mm-hmm. technique, that kind of stuff. So that's, that's one of the hardest things. Yeah. To with, with Navy, you do really have to go back and look at the film. And if it's talking about a replacement guy, it's though, there's nothing on them. There really isn't. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, that's just, so the top four teams, like I said, were easy. I mean, it was tough to pick which order I wanted to put them in. You could have picked any different order, and I mm-hmm. probably wouldn't have had too much of an argument. Five through eleven were relatively difficult, just because. I mean, I put Cincinnati at five because it's like, well, they're probably going to be solid. Um, they do return three guys that I like. It's just a question of the tackles. Memphis mm-hmm. returns two guys that are decent, and then everybody else is just kind of a coin flip. Houston is probably the biggest wild card here, just because I don't I don't have anybody on this team that is an absolute monster. Now Tank Jenkins had a dominant spring, from what I heard. Uh, Patrick Paul can be really good, but like it's I don't know injuries really hurt the them with, last yeah. year too. And the thing with spring ball is whenever you're playing only against yourself, does that mean that you're really good on the O-line or really bad on the D-line? It's tough to tell sometimes. I think that gets overlooked a lot because you, you hear people talk, you know, I I listened to a couple different podcasts and Hmm. one of them always talks about like, well, so-and-so looked really, really good. And it's like, okay, well that's great. But doesn't that also mean that whoever they're going against is looking really, really bad. So I I, I don't know. Do you remember the USF spring game this past year? A lot was made about how uh, their quarterbacks looked in that game. Yeah. Well, the secondary graduated a lot of talent last year at USF. So what does that mean inherently? We don't know is the short answer. Right. Yep. I agree. And if that even goes into like the season two, when you look at a team uh, at the beginning of the year, I was thinking about this earlier today. It was the 2012 West Virginia Whatever year it was Geno Smith, Tavon Austin, and Sedman Bailey, I think it was 2012. Um, yeah, it was around there. 
Well, they, they were still in the, I think the big East was still around and they were just like torching everybody. And it was like, Oh, well, they're really, really good. But then when they actually played someone, it was like, Oh, well they weren't actually really good. They just were killing bad teams. Yeah, exactly. And that's, Honestly, that's kind of the knock that a lot of G5, mid-major, whatever terminology you want to use nowadays, uh, gets knocked down when it comes to bowl season. Like, oh, they've only played no one. They haven't played anyone good. It's assumed they haven't played anyone good. So sometimes that is accurate. Uh, an, an accurate assessment is if you haven't played anyone good, you don't actually have to be all that great to win. Right. And tying that back to Houston, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm really high on Houston's defensive line, so the fact that Tank Jenkins was having a good spring it has me excited. But at the same time, like, mm-hmm. I don't really know. Who knows with that team? Yeah, I, again, it, the way they were last season, I don't know that they'll be. Maybe they'll be improved. They certainly should be improved. We did the Houston preview already not to dive too deep back into them, but yeah, they should be much better than they have been. They should have more talent than they do. So maybe they'll, you know, they could surprise you. They really could, but I'm not holding my breath until they do. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's a, that's a few of these teams here. And uh, one team that will actually, we'll just, we'll dive right into this. We're going to, like I said, Navy is the team that we're talking about today. And uh, it's, uh, there's, there's really a lot of, intriguing things to talk about even though there's not a ton of information to find um so we'll kind of basically just talk about last year and how that really ties into this year so last year for those who didn't watch college football navy got absolutely thumped by byu to start the season uh and then it was you know this is when the the memes started coming out the jokes started flying that ken niamatololo just announced or just said in an interview that they didn't tackle in practice. And mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. that unfairly he got a lot of crap for that. And I, I don't think that that's a bad thing. Now we're not going to dive into that specifically, but that was kind of the tone setter for the rest of the year. They finished three and seven, mm-hmm. which that's their second three win season in the last three years their worst three-year stretch mm-hmm. since 2000 to 2002. Mm-hmm. And so the weird thing about this is you have those two, three win seasons. And we've talked about this in the previous podcast before you have the three years ago, the Malcolm Perry situation was awful and he just did. I don't know what happened. I mean, the offense wasn't tailored right to him or not what that was, but he obviously figured something out. Niamatololo figured it out and they win 11 games. And now, obviously, they need a new quarterback heading into 2020. But it's – I don't know. I, I'm just really confused as to what last year was, and I'm yeah. even more confused about what that means for this year. I mean, a lot was made out of that tackling thing that they didn't tackle in practice. And we kind of talked about it a little bit when we did the uh, review of last season that we didn't think it was as big a deal. But I was saying there's still something to be said if they were going as careful in practice as possible that they weren't giving their quarterbacks last year a chance to really learn the offense. And the offense is so much more complex than people give it credit for being. Uh, we all know that they run the triple option, uh, and this is by necessity. I mentioned it earlier. The type of player they're recruiting is not the type of player that uh, would go to a different school in the conference. They're not as talented. They're not as big. They're not as fast. And that's not a knock on them personally. They're, you know, 
they're going to the U.S. Naval Academy. That one's just a different breed of person who goes there. And they don't cut corners for athletes. But the triple option is what they have to run because of it. It cuts down on possessions in the game. It means their defense is on the field less. It saves them. It does a lot of those key things for them. It also uh, negates that size advantage because they put players on the island. However, to say it's just fullback, quarterback, or running back in each in any given play is too simplistic. There's a lot more counteraction that they do. They cut block a lot, and they love to spring deep balls on you when you crowd the line of scrimmage. One thing Navy really liked to when Malcolm Perry was there was have him drop back like it's passing is actually a pass or a quarterback draw option. They couldn't do almost any of that last year because their quarterbacks did not understand the offense well enough to run any of it successfully. It became an offense where they either ran fullback dive to uh, Crothers or Smith, or they tried something on the edge with a quarterback and they just would go nowhere because they either option too soon or didn't know to pitch it or not. They couldn't make their minds up. And that was the issue. They went through three quarterbacks last year. Dalen Morris got the most starts. He graduated though. And one of their quarterbacks from last year, Tiger Goslin. Now he's at slot back, not at quarterback anymore, which leaves Xavier, uh, Xavier Arline to be the starter for next year. And here's the thing is I think that he can really do well in that role. He is a very athletic quarterback. He was recruited by all three academies hard. He actually was the number five overall lacrosse recruit in his year. He was set to go to North Carolina to play two sports there, but uh, once Mac Brown came in, that offer was rescinded, so he ended up at the Naval Academy. He's incredibly athletic. He's fast as a runner. He does those things well. He just lacks that experience. He's not a great passer, so he doesn't have all the versatility that Malcolm Perry would have had. And if he can take that next step forward, I actually think the offense can be much improved because you really do need a quarterback. Uh, and one other stat about that quarterback position, in 2019, Malcolm Perry ran, ran for 2,017 yards and 21 touchdowns. He threw for 1,084 yards and seven touchdowns. In 2020, all three Navy quarterbacks ran for 280 yards and two touchdowns and threw for 939 yards and three touchdowns. And that's the difference in the record. Yeah, because when you, difference. Yeah, because when Navy's running the offense the way it's supposed to under Perry, which was an obviously an extreme version of success under Perry, it keeps the defense off the field and the defense can be more successful when they're going three and out like they were last year. The defense has gained too much strain put on it. Uh, so, yeah, I think Xavier Arline isn't – if he learns the offense well enough in this full offseason where they're practicing to the full capacity – I think they can be good again. I don't know that they can be great just yet. They do have to replace both of their top fullbacks. There was no help at the slot back position last year and wide receiver is wide receiver. So I think they can be about a bowl eligible team though, if our line is who they expect him to be. Well, the crazy part about this offense is that the most experience comes back at wide receiver. And that's the, yeah. I think, you know, Carruthers is gone. Smith is gone. I mean, the leading rusher is our line with 210 yards, which is really sad because mm -hmm. it's like, well, I, like you said, that's the difference there is the quarterback play. And we'll talk about the defense here in a second, but this defense is going to be the strength of the team until the offense figures things out. And if the quarterback position isn't figuring it out, isn't playing to the level that they're accustomed to or that they need to be, then you're going to get a similar result, mm -hmm. which is, only scoring under 17 points a game rushing for about 175 yards a game, which is just very uncharacteristic uncharac of Navy. 
And mm-hmm. the thing is that, you know, you, they're not, they're not made to throw the ball. Malcolm Perry's season was honestly very unique because I think they threw the ball the best that they've thrown it in years. And they were still a very run heavy team, which is just crazy. To yeah. Th- yeah. And that was all to do with Malcolm Perry's ability to run the ball. They had to respect that they had to crowd the line of scrimmage to stop it. So they could slip guys past it. And Perry was, he wasn't a great thrower, but he was effective enough to get the ball where it needed to go. And that's something that they, well, first off teams knew that the quarterback couldn't run on them anyways last year, but also their quarterbacks like our line, he had a very hard time throwing the ball downfield against army. I know that was in the densest fog you've ever seen, but he couldn't get the ball downfield against them. Other quarterbacks on the team, Morris was okay at it, but they were not good at going downfield with the ball. And I think the one thing that's maybe the saving grace for this offense is now it feels like our line's the guy, like you said, the other guys are pretty much gone or not a factor anymore. So it's really his job at this point. And it's, I think that's really helpful. And obviously COVID didn't help with anything either. So Mm -hmm. you and I have talked about this before, but kind of just scrapping last year and just not really taking much from it just because so many things affected the team. I mean, the fact that they didn't practice because of, or didn't tackle in practice because of COVID. I mean, a lot of teams also like didn't meet until right before the season in person. Mm-hmm. They were doing everything via Zoom and virtual stuff. Like they they weren't meeting together, mm-hmm. and that obviously takes a toll on a team's chemistry. Yeah. The the timing, especially in a triple option offense, the mesh with the fullback, the pitches, the timing, all that stuff is so important. So it's almost like last year you kind of just throw away, and then you this year you just kind of start from scratch because we, just, we we know what we're getting on the defense in terms of talent, but we're not really sure what that means on offense. And, and we talked about the old line too earlier, and this is an offensive line that's essentially going to have essentially five new guys starting essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's yeah. not something that's going to be, you know, they're not going to be successful maybe right away, uh, but it's going to be something that's going to be pivotal, including the quarterback position yeah. for this offense, for sure. Yeah, exactly. And the point you made about uh, having to about the mesh and working on all the triple option practice is exactly correct. This is an offense between the triple option and the way it runs counter that's designed to isolate one player on the defense every single play and make them make a decision. And the quarterback then needs to bait them either into the decision the quarterback wants them to make or read their decision and react immediately. Uh, when you don't fully practice, when you are doing everything over Zoom and you're new to it, you're just not going to learn it properly. And that's that was pretty clear and obvious from the start that their quarterbacks didn't have the confidence to read defenses like that, that they didn't have the confidence to isolate a defensive end and beat them. Uh, so hopefully a full offseason of proper practice and they'll be back to a much more efficient triple option, the type of triple option that takes eight minutes to go 90 yards and drains the life out of their opponent. Which is basically what army has been doing for so long, but Navy fans don't want to hear about army. That's for sure. Uh, we're going to flip to the defense. So the, the defense, when you look at the, the statistics didn't really look great, but I don't think that's really, I, I don't think that really reflects but that's the doing of the offense. Right. I think the, the, the offensive struggles affected them more than that. And the fact that they played 
they were on the field so much that like eventually fatigue is just going to take over, especially when mm-hmm. you're again, not the, a defense. I think you might be able to be put things together because there's no mesh. There's, you know, there's some timing when you do blitz mm-hmm. and twists and whatnot, well, but the, you don't have they, to do as much in terms of that kind of chemistry. Well, yeah. well, their defense coordinator, Brian Newberry, who this is his third season there, 2019, he was incredibly successful. 2020 was not so successful. Part of that is 100%. In 2019, they didn't spend the whole game on the field. In 2020, they did. But part of it, again, it goes to the practice because Newberry likes to do last-minute adjustments on the defensive line in the linebackers where guys shift dramatically. He likes to have guys float around kind of positionless to trick offensive lines. And it's a very complex split scheme, what Navy runs. Again, in a lot of ways, this is to counter the fact that they are not as big or as strong as you are. They need to trick you. Uh, that's just, again, the reality of being Navy. And it, I think that as long as they've got that practice time and they know what they're doing, as long as they're not on the field for 40 minutes a game, they're in pretty good shape to be a solid defense in this conference. Yeah, and at least the the back seven for sure is very talented, very experienced. You have all-conference talents like Diego Fago, John Marshall, and Michael McMorris. Even you could put Kevin Brennan in that list as well. They, they have guys that can play at a high level, but last year, obviously, multiple things contributed to them giving up 30 points per game. But, again, this is a defense. One thing I'll say about Diego Fago is that he, he's probably the best linebacker in the AAC, and he's one of the more Love talented the players. Role. What's that? Love the neck roll. Yes, the neck roll is He's great. Every play. Uh, he plays. He has a visor too. That just is just mm-hmm. a, a nice dynamic. It looks really, really nice. Um, He's kind of a jerk, honestly. He talks a lot after the play. I've seen a couple of plays where it seems like he's not making the. Um, I don't want to call it dirty, but it's kind of like a dirty play. Um, but he's definitely one that's always involved in the play, whether he's actually making the tackle or he's around there and he's John with someone. But honestly, that's kind of the, that, that's kind of the guy that Navy likes to have just the back against the wall underdog. No one really believes in it. Like an underdog yeah. in a conference full of underdogs is definitely something to watch. And he definitely embodies that perfectly. Yeah. Yeah, some teams, some guys individually, they need to be a little bit of a barker to uh, get going. You know, this happens in all sports. You got the guys who need to talk to you. You see it at corner a lot. Every corner has something to say after every play, whether they got beat or not. It's just how they get themselves hyped up. But, you know, he's great. My issue with the Navy defense is they're so undersized, though, on the defensive line that they really need those stunts, those last-second adjustments to trick offensive lines. Otherwise, they can get blown back pretty bad just as a matter of strength. Well, like you said too, it, this isn't uh, th- this roster is not one full of guys that are physically gifted, like the rest of the conference. Now they, they're obviously gifted enough to be division one players, but they're not as just natural talent, naturally talented yeah. as other players that are at their position in the conference. And so that's, that's another thing that, which is a great point that you bring up is that they obviously need to rely on the scheme that they're running. And and that also contributed to last year is that they, I think at times they were relying more on 
their physical talent, their natural talent. And, and that's just not a successful formula if you're Navy. No, it's not going to be. It's, you know, you might be able to get away with that against, if you're at Navy against an FCS school, you can get away with that. The odd out of conference game, you might even be more talented than like Air Force, say. But in the conference, you can't go play Memphis, SMU, whoever it may be, and expect to win at the point of attack just because you're the better, more talented player. Now, they might be better coached in a lot of cases. They might not have all the technique in the world. But the simple reality is sometimes just the big bully is stronger than you. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with admitting that that's what Navy and all the academies have done for years by running the triple option on offense. They said, we know we are weaker than you. We need to find a gimmick to win this game. And they have to do the same thing on defense. And that's what I like about Newberry is when he's at his best, it is a very difficult defense for offensive lines and quarterbacks to, uh, you know, to analyze and to tell where the pressure is coming from. That's what it needs to be. Uh, unfortunately for Navy, that all that complexity means it takes a lot of understanding, a lot of guys who know what they're doing, and a lot of practice, which, you know, as we – I don't want to beat it to death, but they didn't really get last season. Right. So I think this year, now they have a full off season. They're allowed to meet in person. They're going to be able to practice in person. They're going to obviously tackle. I think that's going to be the mm-hmm. joke made for a little bit of time here, but that's, that's huge for them, uh, especially with the talent they have returning defensively, at least uh, obviously the offense benefits just as much, but I think that the defense can really show how good they actually are if they have the time mm-hmm. to gel together, to figure out how each each person fits into their role, each person fits into to gaps on certain plays and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be huge for them. Yeah. And even if you look at last season from week one against BYU until the end of the year at Tulsa, or when they hosted Tulsa and went up to Army for the Army-Navy game, their defense was worlds better just in that time frame again to play together and getting to get that you know live action experience. So I think the defense is going to be good. It just for me, again, it comes the whole whole of Navy to me comes down to the quarterback. If they have a quarterback who runs the offense properly, then the defense will be put in good positions where they're not on the field all that much. If Navy's got a quarterback who doesn't know what they're doing, it's going to be a lot of three and outs and it's going to be turnovers on bad pitches and putting the defense on a short field. So, you know, the defense can be very good at Navy and not look it at times, just be, just because of who they are inherently as a program. Right. And last year was a, a perfect example of that. It's just, they had the talent to be a good, good defense and the offense obviously didn't meet expectations and, that took a toll on everybody. And, and with the schedule that they have this mm-hmm. year, they just can't afford to do that again because they face a lot of talented offenses. And if the yeah, defense the schedule is not friendly, is not. Now I will say, we're just going to dive right into that. Then four of the first five games are in Annapolis. So that's, that's nice. At least you don't have to travel much. And honestly, mm-hmm. there's something about Annapolis when Navy is good, that, there's kind of like this weird, unexplainable hex over the other team. And I, I'm not saying that's going to happen this year, but it's just, it's just really weird what playing at home does for the other team that they're facing. Well, it, it's a very unique atmosphere. I think it's part of it. You're, you're right there at a military academy. You've got all the, you know, these uh, so, I almost said soldiers. That's not correct. Um, all these sailors who are in the stands watching you. 
uh, you know, you've got, it's a very unique atmosphere. I think opposing teams can get caught up in that sometimes. It's, you know, it is a special atmosphere in the conference. It's absolutely worth seeing a game at. And uh, yeah, they're very good at home. First game we get is against Marshall at home, like I said. Uh, Marshall's a very, very good team. They, even though we're not going to dive into this, we fire their coach or part ways with their coach. They hire uh, Alabama yeah. staffer and Charles Huff. Uh, I think that this is a, I don't think it's a dangerous game for Marshall uh, unless this, this, the fall camp goes really well for Navy. Uh, but Marshall's a team that I think a lot of people have to watch out for this year. Yeah. Marshall will be good in CUSA. I fully expect them to because they, well, there's a couple guys who've moved on, but in general, that's a very good team. Uh, I'm going to say this now because I want to get it out of the way now. If Xavier Arline is reaching his potential next year, I think Navy is going to win this game, and that's going to happen a lot of times. If he – oh, yeah. Xavier Arline, I put. I think he's got the potential not to be maybe Malcolm Perry, but to be a very, very good Navy quarterback. He's that athletic. He's that – if he can figure out the offense and make it the right reads consistently – they'll be good on offense. Okay, but that's not something that. I even thought about with this game. I didn't think that they would. Oh, but I, but I, I like your points, though, because I, I agree. If the offense is running at what they need to do, this this is a dangerous team to face, no matter who you are. Also, Marshall, I believe Brendan Knox, or Brendan Knox moved on. Brendan, Brendan, I forget his first name. Knox moved on uh, from Marshall. They lost a couple offensive linemen, too. They might not be the same team on offense. Yeah, a lot of more pressure is going on Grant Wells' shoulders, that's for sure. So that's going to be if, – if Marshall can force Grant Wells to beat them, uh, they might be in good hands if depending on what Wells yeah. is able to do in terms of development. Yeah. Again, to me, yeah. This whole schedule, I'm, like I said, I want to say now, if Xavier Arline is good, they can win a lot of games. If he is what he was last year, they're going to lose a lot of games. So I think the best way I'd like to put the Marshall game is – I'm going to flip a coin right now and say that I wouldn't bet at week one if I was a gambling man. Yeah, I'd wait I to see what our line looks this, like before. I would not touch this game at all. Yeah, I'd love to come back after week one, then redo my prediction for Navy after I've seen what our line looks like. Yeah, right. Uh, so then the next week we get Air Force at home. And honestly, to me, Air Force is – uh, of the three academies, I feel like people just forget about Air Force. And even when Air Force is yeah. really good, which they have been over the past few years, there people are mm-hmm. still just like, eh, Air Force, whatever. Army Navy is because the army. It's the Army Navy game. That's the big one that you circle. They play Air Force week two. Army will probably play them like week six. It's it's forgettable for people. Whereas the Army Navy game, you get the neutral site, you get everything the way that it's very. Uh, there's a lot of pageantry involved with the army Navy game that there isn't with Navy air force. Uh, it's still very important for them. It's still part of the commander in chief's trophy. It's at home this year. Air force beat them pretty good last year. If I'm not mistaken, a lot of teams beat Navy pretty good last year though. So again, I think Navy has a shot to win it. Do I bet on them before I've seen what our line looks like? No. Uh, but I think they've got a good shot at home to beat air force, you know, They'll be very hyped up for the game. Yeah, I think the tough part this year is with teams like Navy, other teams that maybe struggled with injuries and consistencies, it's almost like we don't actually know what they're going to be. Because you're right, I think our line could be a lot better, but like how good, how much better is that, is that going to be? Is, is that 
he runs the offense to the level that Perry did. Yeah. Is it just mean like he's better than last year? And that a game like this and yeah. Marshall is a well, perfect example of that. I definitely don't expect him to be as good as Perry was because that's just another level of good. Uh, but I, I expect him to be a much more consistent player. I don't know that he's going to be able to throw the ball a ton. Again, not to overanalyze a kid who played, I think, four games last year five games last year he saw action in. Uh, you know, so he was very, very raw last season too, just learning the offense. It's not like, it's not like we have a lot of proof. We have a lot of expectations on him. Yes, that is true. Uh, and, and then unfortunately for Navy, they go through arguably one of the toughest stretches for the next, I mean, if you want to talk, include Houston, then yeah, I'll include Houston. But then the next one, two, three, four, five, six games are just absolute. Like whoever made the schedule for Navy was like, hey, if you're better, the next seven then, games. Yeah, it's like, hey, if you're better, too bad because it's yeah. just you're not like. I, I, here's the thing: Do you see more than one win in the next? seven eight games okay so yeah then after air force you get a seven game stretch that i'll read it out just so everyone knows what we're looking at at houston hosting ucf hosting smu at memphis hosting cincinnati at tulsa at notre dame by week uh if again i'm saying if xavier our line is really <laughs> no if our line is improved they've got two chances to win in my opinion maybe two and a half i'd say in that range who are they beating? Houston, obviously. I think the, the, they're capable of being Houston. We just talked about how we we're not sold on Memphis last week, so I have okay, to say that fair. if our line's improved, they've got a chance to beat Memphis. They always play them tough anyways. That was a 10-7 game last year, and Navy's offense was terrible, and Memphis's was much better than we expected to be this year. There's a chance. Uh, and then depending on what Tulsa's doing at that point, the Tulsa's going to be so much stronger than, than them in the trenches that I don't think that they're going to beat Tulsa. But Tulsa might not have a quarterback either. So we'll see what that game looks like when it comes down to it. Uh, it's I just tend a to think crappy stretch. The, 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 even if Navy's really good, I think two's the most that they can win there. Like, mean, they get at... all them, it sucks that they've got – I think if they were had Memphis at home or Tulsa at home, I'd feel a lot more comfortable with that. But on the road, it's an extra layer. Right. Difficulty to right. Teams. And you're looking at four of the top, I mean, four of those teams, UCF, SMU, Cincinnati, Tulsa are top four teams in the conference, or at least can be. And then Notre Dame is a, is a potential college football playoff contender. So obviously they're not beating them, but it's just like, again, whoever made the schedule for Navy, I don't know if they like, if they went to army or, or what, but this is just, Rough. I mean, even the trip to Houston, depending on how Houston is, like, that's not easy. Playing UCF or SMU, it doesn't matter where you play them. That's like, they're not yeah, those, are games those games. Unfortunately, yeah, when they go to play a team like that, I don't think they can keep up offensively, even if they're improved on offense. It's just, 
No, it's there's an story. UCF so and SMU. Win. It's almost insulting if you say that they can because SMU and UCF are just that talented. And then the next game, if it was at home against Memphis, I would feel better about it. But the fact that it's at Memphis, I just don't don't yeah. like that. And well, then Cincinnati yeah. is another game where it's like, well, it doesn't matter. It's Cincinnati. They're going to kick the crap out of, out of Navy. And then you go to Tulsa. Again, another game that if it was at home, I feel a little bit different. But you go to Tulsa, yeah. and it's just, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't like I'm thinking about I'm just thinking about who Tulsa is in the trenches compared to what Navy is in the trenches. And I don't like that matchup for Navy at all. You have like five three hundred pound guys going against the three linemen that maybe are two eighty. Pushing two fifty. Yeah. Right. And then you go to the linebackers like Fago is probably two forty, two fifty. Like everybody else is just a a small version. It's like, well, Tulsa could just run the ball. And even when you reverse that, you know. When you reverse it, they're going to have to cut every single play yeah. against Tulsa. Yeah. And, and that defense so is still loaded. For Tulsa. So, well, yeah. And the and nice thing for Tulsa up, is you don't have to worry about – Yeah, I was going to say, you don't have to worry about Navy throwing the football. So, it's like, who cares that they just lost their top two quarterbacks? Yeah, and then Notre Dame, it's a similar issue where Notre Dame's just going to dominate them physically. Uh, I love the Notre Dame-Navy game, but that's just – it's not a game you should ever expect to win if you're Navy. It just isn't. There should always be a significant talent gap there. So at, at worst, and we're gonna go, we're gonna go through uh, ceiling and floor again here, but it's not looking good. And then you go to ECU. Now we had our ECU preview, and, it, and that's a team that could be significantly better this year. But again, I think that's still a winnable game if ECU's not what we think they're gonna be. Oh, yeah. Here's why I like for Navy from Navy's perspective in that game. It's at home. We just talked about how tough that atmosphere is to win. ECU is not good on run defense. They're good in the secondary. They're not good on run defense. So if Navy can get it rolling and knows what they're what they want to do, they're going to chew up a lot of clock. They're going to score their points. You know, but that's a bunch of Fs. Yeah. It's a, it's a big if game, but that's enough ifs. To... And that's so late in the season at this point that these teams are going to have evolved beyond what we see them as now. Right. Like ECU is going to be really good, and we're going to think Navy has no chance, or ECU is going to struggle, and it's like, well, yeah, Navy definitely has a chance here. Uh, and then we go to the next game, and really in the AAC – you're probably picking between Temple and Navy as your two worst teams. You can maybe throw USF in there, but you're really – Depends on your perspective, yeah. Again, yeah. And, and really, if, if it's, everybody's projections are correct, that means that this is going to be the two worst teams battling it out. And I don't really know – like Temple is banking a lot of their success on transfers, and Navy is trying to figure things out. So it's two teams – we don't really know anything about, and it's at the end of the season, which obviously we'll know more. Mm-hmm. But right now, it just feels like this could be a really ugly game. Very winnable. Very winnable. That's the way I'm going to word it for either one of them, if you want. Uh, no, I mean, I think, I think I'm more comfortable expecting Navy to be better than Temple just going into the year because I, I think Kenio Matalolo's if not the best, one of the best coaches in the conference. Like it's a completely unique program in so many ways that it's hard to compare to other teams. It's hard to compare him to other coaches. 
for everything we've talked about so far on the on this show. Uh, but yeah, I trust that Neil Montalolo will figure things out with what he's got more than I trust Rod Carey. I've been pretty anti-Rod Carey the past couple of years since he retired <laughs> at Temple, so I'm not going to change that feeling now. Oh, right. Oh, I haven't done the Temple pod. Maybe you should have waited until after the Temple pod to say that. But oh. <laughs> I, I agree, though. I, I think that, yeah, right. I, I agree, though. I, th- <laughs> I, I trust Niamatolo's system just because we've seen that it works at, at the NAAC level, whereas Kerry's system at Northern Illinois obviously worked, but that's a different conference, a yeah. completely different team. I don't team. even know that I'd say it worked 100%. He I mean, it worked enough. full team. He inherited an Orange Bowl team and kind of maintained and did a light slide. I, I don't know that it was a – it was certainly not an improvement on where they were before he got there. Right, yeah. But, again, it, the, since we've seen that Niamatololo can do it. We've seen him turn things around. We know that he's got a good system in place. It's really just like – finding the pieces to work and then making slight adjustments. Like they're not making huge Mm -hmm. wholesale changes. Temple's essentially making huge changes. I mean, their system's probably the same, but they're essentially bringing in a bunch of brand new guys that they didn't recruit. They're trying to build, like incorporate them into the culture. And it just like, that feels too hit or miss. Whereas Navy has a system. They know what they're trying to do. They don't pretend to be something they're not. They don't deviate from the path. And I, I just I, I agree. I think Navy is yeah. the more reliable option, even though they didn't have a great year last year. Yeah, and then that just for the uh, last game of the year, the Army Navy game that's going to be back in Philly. Uh, I don't see a way Army isn't the surefire favorite going into that. But it's still going to be a close game. I feel like even when Army or Navy are the clear favorites, like it's just such a a big rivalry that it's always going to be close, at least for a, a while. And it, maybe it's all four quarters and maybe it's just close until the end, but it's, it's going to be a close mm-hmm. game. But yeah, right now I feel more confident in what army can do than what Navy can do. But again, a lot can change by December 11th. Yeah, absolutely. It's not like army hasn't had its own questions about quarterback the past season or so. So, you know, you never know what's going on uh, up there in a lot of ways. But, you know, I, I think for Navy, I do like Xavier Arline a lot. I think he's going to be better. I don't know how much better. I just – it's a very tough schedule, and I think if everything breaks perfectly, you know, that means they're improved on offense. The defense holds to what we think they'll be and is in better positions to succeed. If they win the close games, I think at best they can do is push for six and six. I think four and eight, five and seven is much more realistic, though looking at yeah. the schedule. I, I, I agree. So you think six and six is the ceiling? I do. And that, so what's, I, what's is floor four and eight for you? No, the floor is lower than that, but there's a chance Xavier Arline, I'm wrong about him. And if, if he, if he is who he was this past season, if he doesn't take that step forward that I do expect him to take, one and 11, two and 10, they're in that range. As I say, one and 11 is my floor. Uh, but yeah, I think six and six. Let's see here. They could beat Army, Temple, ECU, Tulsa, Memphis. They're coin flip. Yeah, yeah, I can see six and six if everything goes right and they're running, they're firing all yeah. on all cylinders. That also means that somebody, uh, whether that's Dana Holgerson, Ryan Silverfield, or Philip Montgomery, mm-hmm. probably Mike Houston, Mike amazing, Houston yeah. is probably not feeling so good about their their situation, but. It's not out of the question if uh, everything's going yeah. well on the Navy side. 
Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of winnable games if Navy improves on offense, but I'm going to say they're going to be 5-7. and seven. I'm going to say they're going to fall a little bit short of a bowl game. I think that's where I'd put them. But that's, I think that's probably a good setting up. I think 2022, they're going to be pretty good again. Yeah, it's going to be. I expect online to have that uh, growth over time. Right. If anything, they'll just be excited for the next year because he'll show some flashes. And while they might not be consistent, they'll at least be enough to get people excited about next year. Although the defense, they're probably going to need it because the defense is going to be depleted at that point. Uh, but then again, I yeah. feel like a lot of rosters, well, I, I feel like everybody has a lot of people returning this year. And that just means that next year is going to be a lot of new faces. And Navy is a perfect example of that on the, at least on the defensive side of the ball. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, uh, that's um, yeah, I, I'm proud of us. I think that we, we did a good job. I, there's, there's always things to talk about, even with temple with so many unknowns, there's going to be a lot to talk about there. They are not next. Unfortunately mm-hmm. though, next we're up, we're going to be talking about the SMU Mustangs. We're having uh, arguably one of the best off seasons that we've seen in AAC history. Uh, and there's a lot to talk about with that program, but that's, that's for next time. Uh, you can follow him at Dan underscore Morrison 96. You can follow me at Joe Broback. And like I said, SMU is next. We're going to keep chugging along. And this just a reminder that th- this is the last full month without college football. So things are going to get better. It's just a matter of...